Welcome to the first of a two-part series podcast, which is brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. The focus of this series is biodiversity and farming. My name is George Gawley, and I'm going to be joined by conservation consultant Helen Bibby. Now, there's no doubt that agriculture has attracted a lot of attention recently, particularly centred on greenhouse gas emissions. And new ideas that conventional food production will even eventually be replaced by laboratories. And uh, I think this is a really interesting concept, actually. And it's really got me thinking about the role that farming has, not only in terms of food production, but for other less known outputs, such as maintaining landscapes and improving habitats and biodiversity. Helen, thank you very much for joining us today. I wanted to start by asking you, what exactly is biodiversity? Hi, George. Biodiversity, to start with, is really the variety of life, including on a farm, that means a whole variety of habitats, it means a variety of species, it means everything from things that live in fresh water to animals and species that live in woodlands and animals and microorganisms organisms that live in the soil. So it really encompasses everything. And um, Helen, why is biodiversity important? Well, it's in, in a, maybe in our in argyle context, eh, because that's what we're talking about here. Argyle has a very high biodiversity in general because it, is, it tends to be quite a low population area with eh, plenty of ground. In a farming context, biodiversity is also high in Argyle due to extensive hill farming systems where low numbers of sheep and cattle are grazed over very large areas. This produces a variety of habitats which is perfect to produce a high biodiversity level. So Helen, how do farms in Argyle and Loch Haber differ from perhaps other parts of the country? So farms in the west coast of Scotland are generally not high production units when compared to other places in the UK. They do however farm in a way that is more in tune with the environment and a lot more sustainable to the environment. In the past, in order to supplement income from low production levels, many of our Argyle farms have supplemented their income with grant aid through agri-environment schemes. There's a government grant scheme in order to support the environment. It mostly involves managing grazing levels, eh, which eh, supports the habitats in a sustainable way. So those grazing levels will be dis- different, say, in a woodland to a grassland, and it also will depend on what you're trying to support there. There's also a lot of improved grassland in Argyle as well. Is there a high level of biodiversity in these parts as well, or does it tend to be restricted to the more extensive areas of hill ground? You know, there is a high biodiversity in a lot of the more intensive, uh, relative to Argyll, we don't have much intensive ground compared to the east coast of Scotland, but our, our more productive fields do have a variety of life as well. We obviously have uh, boundary systems around them, which means hedges and uh, walls. They, they are really good for supporting shelter and food for animals and we have of course the the corn creek in Argyll and that is completely reliant on a, a cut system over small fields so without agriculture 
Uh, in Tyree, for example, the corn crake could really couldn't survive. It's uh, called a corn crake for a very good reason. It relies solely on our agricultural practices. And um, Helen, could you just maybe expand on on that a wee bit further? Um, what type of management? Um, what type of management is suited to um, to these? Types of species such as the corncrake is is it is it is it very much um, reducing stock numbers at, at certain times of the year or, or how does it work essentially? Well, for the for the corncrake, the corncrake really relies on a very late cutting day. It relies on an open sward. They arrive here uh, early in the year. They are relying on some patches of taller vegetation. They often on the islands use nettle patches or iris patches so they, they need some cover they're very shy birds so uh, an extensive system can provide cover and even in uh, some more intensive fuels there is tends to be quite a lot of uh, wetland areas which will provide that cover they then as the crops grow uh, for silage they'll then move into that to have their checks and to uh, provide cover for them as long as that crop is then cut quite late because they need time to rear their young, their young stay within the crop until hey, they're a bit older and then they can move out as they get a bit older. So as long as that cover is cut quite late, then that'll provide good habitats for the corn crakes. There are, there's plenty of other ways to provide habitats, and that, that can be things like um, watching your grazing on a species-rich grassland. So often you may get an improved ground, but maybe with some species-rich knolls in it. So as long as just kind of watching that it's not too tightly grazed at the right times of year or boundary management, you know, give your hedges and your dikes enough room to uh, set enough space in the field really to get going. So there is a whole variety of things you can do even in what we would call the MBI ground around the farm. And um, Helen, you mentioned the, the species-rich grassland, sort of low-line um parts of Argyle, um the more productive gra grasslands what type of um what type of biodiversity are you um managing is it the flowers or or is it the the insects or, or a huge amount on species rich grassland uh, what you're actually managing is the flowers and along with that will come uh, an increase in birds and uh, invertebrates that live so if you look after your habitat the correct way then you will get all the other associated benefits to birds and invertebrates that come along with that yeah and is that um in terms of stocking stocking then is it is it the case of um managing stocking densities throughout the year or, or taking taking stock off at certain times of the year how does that yeah. generally work uh, Yes, throughout the year in a way, but in general the plants need to flower and set seeds so they need lower densities in the summer when they're actively growing in order to do that. So lower grazing densities at that time so that the plants can get a chance to flower and then set seed. And then they also need grazing in uh, during the winter because you don't want that area to get too rough. So for example, if you had no grazing on the area, then some of these species rich areas wouldn't be able to survive very well because they would be out competed by coarser grasses over time if you didn't have any 
grazing in the winter. So therefore it's quite good to be able to knock that back uh, by having you know cattle or sheep on in the winter uh, and that'll keep more space for the species rich plants. So Helen, if we um, go back to maybe looking at the more extensive hill hill areas of ground, um, what type of what type of um, habitats exist there? On on the hill grounds, Nargal tends to it can be uh, anything from uh, woodlands. We have some very really nice uh, ancient woodlands. We have uh, ravines with. Uh, bits of woodland hanging on and they're all kind of native species. We also have a whole variety of peatlands and heathlands including bogs which are really good for carbon capture uh, and these tend to be very lightly grazed. We have uh, water courses, we have species rich grasslands up on the hill as well which are good so uh, the livestock will tend to to graze those and give a wee bit of space to the bogs. We have damp grasslands that support marsh artillery butterfly. We have uh, wetlands which support a whole variety of plants, birds and insects. We have the high mountain tops with specialist plants, birds such as the ptarmigan, golden plover, golden eagle and the sea eagle. So there's plenty going on in all aspects of the yeah. ground. Yeah, there's a huge amount there. So Helen, you've mentioned um, a bit there about uh, the types of biodiversity found on in by ground and um, you've touched on you know the types of habitats that exist on the on the hill ground as well um, and I suppose what what I what I wanted to un understand was um, a bit more about the woodland si side of things so um, so is woodland beneficial to bio biodiversity? What type of what type of um, what type of habitat do you actually find in the forest, and and does that vary depending on whether that's a, a native woodland or whether it's a a, a commercial conifer? Well, <clears throat> woodlands uh, are really important in Argyll. It uh, actually is a relatively well wooded area of Scotland. Woodlands are uh, an, a really important source of biodiversity across the whole of Scotland, for which Argyll is particularly rich. Uh, for example, Argyll holds the biggest areas of what's known as temperate uh, rainforests, uh, so our cold climate rainforests, which, which are just as rich really as uh, some of the areas abroad, which we normally think of as rainforest. So, although there's only small amounts of these left, it's really important to be aware of those, to know where they are and to actually try and increase those because the biodiversity of these sites are so important. They, a lot of them are classed as ancient woodland or remnants of ancient woodland yeah, across Argyll. And uh, uh, a lot of them will lie in small areas on the farms. As I said, native woodland has a very, very high biodiversity, particularly when you compare it with something like conifer plantations. Argyll also has many conifer plantations, which, uh, although they can provide shelter belts on a farm, really have no biodiversity uh, whatsoever. Um, 
really, really extremely low. So though they're producing a usable product, they're not really adding anything else uh, to the farm when it comes to biodiversity. The, when it comes to grant aid for woodlands, there is currently quite a lot of funding available through Scottish Forestry to help farmers increase woodlands or to look after woodlands they've already got. So there's grant aid for things uh, like planting and fencing of native woodland so that you could increase or to join up areas of native woodland. I talked about a landscape scale approach before. So one of the good ways to look at it is do areas of native woodland uh, need join together that allows plants and seeds to work as corridors through the woodland. There is grant aid to do that kind of thing. So is uh, there also is grant aid to look after the woodlands you already have. So if you've got a large area of uh, high quality woodland um, that maybe needs some management, then there's grant aid through Scottish Forestry to do that too. So Helen, do most farmers uh, realise the the types of biodiversity that is actually present on a lot of farms in our in Argyll? So some farmers do know very well what they've got uh, on their farm, but actually many many farmers in Argyll don't know what what they've got there or don't understand uh, how important some of these habitats are in the whole biodiversity system. Uh, so I always encourage uh, people that I'm dealing with to make sure they collect information from anyone else that's on the farm. So, if, for example, if there's uh, someone who's a keen bird watcher locally and is watching on their farm, it's really good to have a list of those kind of species or what they can see about on the farm. So I'm saying, you know, when you're walking over the farm, keep your head up. It's a very different way of looking when you're looking for biodiversity than if you're looking for a, a, some lost sheep. A, you, you know, you're looking in a different way. It's not easy to do both, but if you could try and take some time to look about and actually notice what is going on in the farm, then all that adds to your own information of what you're managing on the farm. And that and information like that helps focus any environmental management in the most effective places in the farm. So farms are made up of not just uh, not just the environments within themselves. So I tell people not to just stop looking at their own boundaries, but look at how their farm might fit in over a landscape scale approach. For example, if there's lots of woodlands coming, but it stops at your boundary, then in some ways, maybe, depending on those woodlands, you need to, you don't need to provide woodlands because they're right there, you're in a wooded area. But maybe you need to continue some of these woodlands down a watercourse or down an area as a corridor from one thing to another. And that's often what we see in Argyle. We see things like otters that need to travel between the hill and the shore and to provide a corridor of a woodland or a fenced off waterway with a wee bit of cover really helps things like that. Um, Helen, how do you actually go about assessing this? You know, how 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 does an you know uh, an average farmer go out and actually um actually start to gauge, you know, the types of habitats that are actually present? 
Well, sometimes that is quite difficult for people on the farm when they're busy and focused uh, doing other things. So that's really why I was suggesting that uh, if you have other people round and about who are collecting information about your farm, and that is often the case whether you know it or not. So like the likes of local bird groups will often have information of what they see. And so uh, there's two ways you can get information through that or you can get information by what you can see. So make sure you're observant when you're out. Uh, and that information together even though it might not mean much to yourself, if, if you speak to someone, a more environmental person, it gives them a, a really good heads up on what is going on in the farm and what is and why it is important. And that's the information that can be used to focus the management. Would you say, Helen, that in a lot of cases, um, farmers might already be um, managing the, the habitat quite successfully but but just maybe need to uh, become more aware of the of the work that they're doing absolutely many farmers uh, are managing it in a very good way because a, a lot of the sustainability comes from tradition a traditional way of managing things and many farmers in Argyll are managing things in a traditional way and they do take th things out stock out of ground of their species rich to allow it to grow and, and set seed and so and they are already having woodlands fenced off many many farmers are very switched on about what is actually needed in the environment so it's just a, a way of yeah it's just about being aware really of what you've got yeah yeah and um you're a good story there you um you i believe you're out on isla recently uh, do you want to tell us a wee bit about that well, my story, oh, I was I was out on the islands, I was actually looking uh, for farm grant schemes, I was mapping farm grant schemes and I had to look at a map for a farm that I went out on, I could see they probably had a significant amount of woodland that I would be interested in, uh, and when I went out to talk to him, he showed me everything in the farm bar the woodland, and when I asked him about the woodland, and it, he was more than welcome to take me to see it, and he the, a lot of hectares of the most pristine ancient woodland on the site with a really high biodiversity value that he was managing himself. But he was quite shy about that woodland and he was quite shy that he hadn't... Uh, this was almost his own thing, something different from the farm, but he hadn't, didn't always realise the value, nor was he getting any feedback, verbal feedback on on that that area was really valuable and what he was doing was a, re was a really good thing but it was almost like he was quite shy about that. Now, I think that's probably a common story for farmers who are looking after their ground eh, in a good way but don't always publicise that fact. What exactly was he doing Helen? Was he, he grazing or...? Um... He was keeping stock out of it for most of the year so the, the woodland was quite healthy, uh, there was a lot going on there and he was putting small numbers of stock in it over the winter that had the benefit to him to uh, acting as a shed to give some shelter for his stock but he was doing it in a really low level way so as the woodland wasn't being damaged because he personally valued the wood. Yeah, so he was getting the benefit of the shelter essentially and uh, the woodland was getting the the benefit of um i, I suppose keeping the rank grasses that's right I, I, well in a woodland that tends not to 
to be too much of a problem. Uh, but yes, he was getting the benefit of the shelter, but he was not overusing that benefit. So there's plenty of uh, woodlands that I do see that are being used as a shelter for stock. And the one thing I would say about that is you have to be really careful about what levels of stock you put in that. Because a woodlander's root can be really valuable on the farm for stock, but it still needs management and it still needs a break from a high intensity grazing or like anything mismanaged that woodland will fall down over a long time if it's never given some kind of break for stock. So Helen, what advice would you give to a farmer who is wanting to know a bit more about what they can do to promote biodiversity on their own farms? Uh, well, I would say a farmer needs to make sure that they are aware of the environmental value of what habitats and species that they do have on their own farm. And this could be by uh, keeping their own heads up, looking around to see what species are around in their own area, not just eagles in the sky, but smaller species like butterflies and plants too, often uh, environmental uh, benefits indeed are actually in the detail of what you look at rather in the general. If they, uh, as I said, you know, get more information from other people, employ an environmentalist, I'm always going to say that, now, employ an environmentalist uh, to come and help them with that, uh, but also use a lot of the free interest that is out there with, as I said, local bird clubs and things like that. So in the long term, really, farming and the environment can work together in a sustainable way, particularly in an extensive system. But for farming to be sustainable in the long term, they must work with the environment and not against it. And actually, I think in most cases, Argyle is a good example of that. I'm not saying that we couldn't do better on either side, but in general, we're a were a good example of a sustainable practice between livestock and the environment on the west coast of Scotland. Helen, that was really informative. You've covered biodiversity there in a fair bit of detail, not only from a hill and improved grassland perspective, but also from a woodland perspective as well. I suppose it's really interesting to note that farming uh, certainly has a key role to play in the management of these habitats, providing that that role is managed in a suitable manner. What's also really interesting is that as improving biodiversity and the environment becomes central to the future UK agricultural policy, that many farmers, in fact, in the areas which have a high biodiversity value are successfully looking after these habitats already. And I'm sure you'll agree that there's a balance which needs to be achieved. Support needs to be made available to ensure that these landscapes are managed correctly while, while also ensuring that food production is financially viable. So, Helen, thanks very much for coming in today. Um, for our listeners who have enjoyed this episode, make sure to keep an eye out for the next episode where... As a complement to what we've discussed here, we'll be talking to some local Loch Haber farmers out on the ground to hear how they are actively using farming to improve biodiversity on their own farms. Thanks very much for listening.